When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Australian Made Week kicks off on May 15th. Look for the green and gold kangaroo logo. Road to the Ashes with Simon O'Donnell and Steve Harmison. Hello everyone and a big welcome uh, to our edition, our second edition, The Road to the Ashes. Simon O'Donnell's my name, Steve Harmison joining me in a moment. And we're here thanks to Australian Made. Look for the green and gold kangaroo. We're bringing SEN in Australia and Talk Sport in the UK together. Hey, the Aussies and the Poms having a yarn. Can't believe it. But uh, we're going to build up to the most anticipated Ashes series in years. It's going to be an absolute beauty. A couple of the participants uh, that uh, will, will take part in those Ashes, Alex Kerry, one of them, he'll join us a little later in the show. And we're going to go back, back to 2005. And my co-host Steve Harmison was part of that 2005 sensational series in the UK, and Michael Kasperitz, they'll be, um, he'll be looking forward to reliving, well, I think he'll be looking forward to reliving what was uh, the famous Edgbaston test back there in 2005. They're great memories from my co-host on the road to the ashes, Steve Harmison. Harmy, welcome to you. What a memory you'd have from that Edgbaston test match and that series. Yeah, it was a fantastic memory, and Hello to everyone in Australia, and again, it's getting closer and it's getting more anticipated as they go, and Stuart Broad's had his thing to say. Um, Steve Smith's arrived in England, talking about 2005. It'd be great to sort of catch up with Casper, and what it was uh, an unbelievable Sunday morning. Um, England, you know, we all thought two wickets to get, 107 runs to win. Game starts at 11 o'clock. We'd be on Broad Street in the walkabout bar singing 1 0, you know, 1 1 to England. And didn't quite go that, get that far, I must admit. Four past 12 and Sunday afternoon, Sunday afternoon, lunchtime, we were still nail biting stuff. But yeah, what a memory. That's the great uh, part of our game, isn't it? The, the game of cricket. Uh, the, the one thing you don't do is plan anything because you just don't know what's going to happen, when it's going to finish, what time. Uh, that's the great part of our game. It is, and it, the minute you think you've got it cracked, it comes back and bites you on the backside very, very quickly and <laughs> with some velocity. So, no, that was that was just an, that was a, a long list of an epic um, part of the series of of, of of 2005, and we keep saying this could be the one that's exactly the same as that. But, yeah, massive um, expectation, before, the, the, the build-up to it, uh, Hummy, and... and you know, even now, this far out, I mean, we're, we're June 16, we, we kick things off, but you know, uh, you know, with sort of six weeks still to go, there's there's plenty of discussion around you know, the, the build-up, the tactics, um, um, the boundaries being shifted. But I just wanted to touch on a, a couple of those topics leading hmm. in um, with you today. And one of them's... He just grows on me, Stuart Broad. He's just a thinker. I love the way he thinks. And he's he's already throwing barbs out there six weeks on. Now, 
Stuart Broad's got a, a weekly, and I think it's a weekly army, and you might uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, a weekly column in the Daily Mail. And what he's written this week is this. In my mind, I don't class that as a real Ashes. The definition of Ashes cricket is elite sport and lots of passion and players at the top of their game. Nothing about the series was high-level performance because of the COVID restrictions. The training facilities, the travel, not being able to socialise. I've written it off as a void series. Now, that's obviously the COVID series back in Australia. England failed to win a test match. Australia was nearly a whitewash. Um, I reckon that's just fantastic to say, hey, it meant nothing. No scars from that, fellas. It is. It's it's hilarious when you when you hear Brody go. He's he's box office. He is. He's box office on the field, but he he does say something every now and again just to just to rattle the opposition and and put a shot across the bow to say he's not going anywhere. And a lot of it with Stuart is because he's quite he's places up for question. There are only three bowling spots. He's one of five or six fast bowlers that is potentially not going to play. Oh, that, that are going to play. And Stuart's just making a headline to say, don't forget about me, I'm still here. And he believes in everything he says. Everything everything he said in that, he believes that that Ashes series didn't count for him. Yep. I, I, I can understand a little bit what he's saying, that you know yourself, Simon, that the Ashes, it's as much as the cricket is England versus Australia. It's, the, uh, it's everything else that goes with it. It's the, the crowd at the MCG on Boxing Day. It's Sydney, you know, the, the, the that festival of cricket for two weeks over the, the, the sort of Christmas and New Year period. That's more about the crowd than it is about what happens on the field. So I get what he was saying. I've spoke to a few of the players that played in that series and said the terms and conditions for the players probably just weren't acceptable. The way they were, the hotels were, the way, you know, the how you sort of, you go about eating and, in um in off the field stuff, I get that, but it was still England against Australia. The Premier League didn't stop because the crowds weren't allowed to come in. The game still went on, and Manchester City still won the Premier League. And I'm sure Pep Guardiola will not be saying it doesn't count because there was no crowd crowd in there. So, as much as I want to try and agree with Stuart, England didn't play well enough and got beat four 0 Yeah, we're talking of the. 2021-22 series, and there was, you know, the, the world was in a was in a dark place, Harvey, and and mm. things were different. And I, I suppose what comes with an Ashes series is that expectation, is the crowd each day, you know, is you know crowds at the hotel, you know, all, all those sorts of things, and it would have been an, a really interesting series to understand how the guys went about it mentally because that wasn't there. They, you know, when they walked into the foyer of the hotel, there wasn't anyone there. When they went to the airport, yeah, I, there was hardly anyone there. When they went to the ground, there was basically zero people there. You would have thought that would help England. You would have thought that would have helped England. I, as much as, as Stuart makes some great points, he does. But I look at that series and you go, we didn't, you know, brought Anderson for the first test match. We We didn't play spinners. We actually, we England made a mess of selection for the first three or four test matches, if not all five test matches. So I don't think you can blame COVID or the crowd for England's selection during that series, which was a complete shambles. And that was the reason why we lost 4-0 as opposed to having no crowds there. 
in theory, it should have helped England. And I know off the field it was torture for some of the players, and rightly so because the world was in a mess. But I think when you when you look at it, if I was given a, a series to go to Australia with no crowd, you'd fancy your chances. Take, you'd fancy actually your chances. takes away the advantage that the Aussies Absolutely. have more Absolutely. so than uh, now we copped it. I mean, in two thousand six seven, we copped. We you know what it's like. We mm. copped it off the. Baggage handlers when you got into the into the airport in uh, Sydney or Perth, wherever Good you went. Good on those Aussies! Unbelievable. And then and then you got to you know we got we got told that Warner McGrath are going to get us, and I'm like, well, 20 years of history tells me that Warner McGrath are going to get us. Um, but then you, you, we got drug tested on the, the first morning. We got there at six o'clock in the morning. You got banged out of bed. You're trying to overcome jet lag, and somebody's breading your door. Come on, we got to get a drug test because. One of the lads couldn't sleep, and they were at us. That's for, that's what happens first morning if you get to Australia. Now, with that not happening and England going in with no crowd, you'd have thought it would probably benefit England with with that in 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 happening. But it didn't. England selection didn't help them. I even think even I think England picked the right teams. Yeah, well, Australia were probably I suppose too when good we, for them. We get things underway on on June sixteen. Um, that that'll be a a distant memory. The the 2021-22 series, and and it'll mm. be a it'll be a, very much a, a different pressure and a different game, and there'll be there'll be people at those games, and uh, you know Australia and England, um, England will be looking for a home ground advantage. They'll get that in itself. They'll know the grounds better than the Aussies. Obviously, they'll they'll have the majority of the support in the stands. But is the boundary coming in another five or six metres going to help out? Because this Baz ball, which has everyone intrigued, Harvey, now we're saying, now there's the the extra component of it to say, let's bring the boundaries in a bit. Now, I must admit, I've always thought that if you bring them in for one side, you've probably got to bring them in for the other, and it's going to be the same for everyone, no matter what. Yeah, I must admit, when I when I seen the headline on that, I thought it was the first of April, not the first of May. Um, it was like, wow, are we going to play with bigger stumps? You know, is the ball going to be smaller? Uh, it's these guys now hit Simon. These guys now hit the ball 80, 90, 100 meters. So bringing the bringing the boundary boards in from sixty meters to fifty five, I don't think it's going to make a great deal of difference to. To the players that are playing in the game at this minute in time, I, I really I didn't understand that headline, all that story. And we've had some nonsense stories this week in, in England, changes of county cricket, changes of the hundred, and I think a lot of it's been met up. I actually think this basketball bringing the boundary ba- uh, boards in, I think that's a little bit of tongue in cheek in that one. Just a quick one to get your thoughts on, Steve. <laughs> With, I always wondered where is twenty twenty cricket going to take us? You know what. What are the benefits of it? You know, yes, it's going to be fun. And, and, you know, initially when the game was was brought onto the international stage, it was all about fun and entertainment. Still is, but it's it's a very serious caper now and people can make a an astounding living out of just playing it all, all around the world. But I, I think from the way people play 2020 cricket now, one day cricket improves. So we went from scoring 240 to 280 to now you haven't got 320 to 350, you don't, you don't win the game. Uh, but I also think now with the basball, it's having an effect on test cricket as well, giving guys the confidence to say, hey, it might be a different colour ball, but there's still only the same amount of fielders. They've still got to bowl it over the same distance and the boundaries are the same size. 
hundred percent. And I think we've seen we've seen this with with the England cricket team. And I think what we've seen with a lot of pushback from this basketball stuff is that other teams don't believe they can do it against them. So we mentioned last week that England have come up against a good bowling attack in South Africa, can't do it against Rabada and Nokia bowling 90 mile an hour rockets. Well, they can. And I think one example, one example of this, I think, is taking the game to a whole new level. And I think which will improve, and a lot of it is down to 2020 cricket, is you look at Joe Root in Joe Root in New Zealand. He had Tim Southey's got three slips, a gully. Keeper, three slips and a gully. For, on the on the you know, third ball of the of the of a morning, morning's play, a newish ball, and Joe Root reverse sweeps him, you know, reverse laps him over the top of slip for four. Now you go and you go, whoa, that's a what a shot that is. You can't believe that. But if you go on practicing that shot, it's not a very high risk shot because in the 30 yard circle, in the power play at the start of a T20 or a 50 over game, someone like Davey Warner will go, all I need to do is get it for 30, 35 meters in the air. And it's a four because it's safe. There's no feelers on the boundary. And I think that's the area that these guys are pushing it now in test cricket. They go, they're not hitting it in the, they're hitting it in conventional one day areas, but not in, in, um, in test match areas. And I think until everybody's played England and everybody understands what England are trying to do, that's when teams will develop it. You know, New Zealand are trying it now. You know, South Africa, they, they'll be trying it. And it'll be interesting to see how quickly Australia come to the to get to the way England have played. And then they're possibly, they try and combat that by going just as hard as what England do. Test cricket, six runs and over. How good would that be? <laughs> It's amazing. Six and a half runs and over in Pakistan. Yeah. And it wasn't for like 10 overs. It was for seven and a half and over, and it was for a full day. Brilliant stuff. Bizarre. But that's why, the, that's why you potentially could change test cricket from mm. five days to four days if they go like this. No, it'd be fascinating to see how it rolls out. No, I'm with you. I, I think it's, it was, was an April 1 story, and uh, I don't think the boundaries will be moved uh, one little bit. Australian Made Week kicks off on May 15th. Look for the green and gold kangaroo logo. Road to the Ashes with Simon O'Donnell and Steve Harmison. Welcome back to Road to the Ashes on SEN and Talk Sports. Simon O'Donnell, Steve Harmison with you. Thanks to Australian Made. Look for the green and gold kangaroo. And that takes you down memory lane. We're going to relive one of the most famous days of Ashes cricket. And that was the final day in the 2005 series of the second test at Edgbaston. Steve Harmison Michael, to Michael Kasowitz. That was, that, that was the, the core of it all. That's Casper. Uh, hang on. I think we needed three. Harmy needed the last wicket for England, and you just saw how it played out then. It's my pleasure to welcome Michael Kasowicz uh, to join us on Road to the Ashes. What's your first reaction to hearing that so many years down the track, Casper? Hey, look, I should just point out that uh, hey, nice to, to join you, Scuba, and also Harmy. Well, um, great to you know, connect again. Um, 
I'm going to say uh, it, it, it was a long time ago, but it's, it was actually I was reminded obviously regularly about it, but there was a guy in India came to me and he said, uh, he said, Casper, you, you, you single-handedly saved test cricket. <laughs> and at the time I said, oh, mate, I'll look up. Why is that? And he said, I said, thank you. I said, how come? He said, well, because if you had to score those runs with Brett Lee, you would have been 2 0 up in the series. And then, look, Test Creek just would have died. You know, it would have just disappeared and it all, all done. So I had to thank him. But I said to him at the time, I said, um, um, that, um, I'll just point out there was a one test series that calendar year where we didn't use DRS. I think they were introducing it, they didn't use DRS. So I pointed out to him, um, whilst it would have been the right result, because I think Hotspot would have picked up that my right hand was actually just off the bat at the time. And I think it's law 34.1 in MCC laws of cricket or something around there. Um, suggest that's not out. I reckon it could have been a little bit embarrassing for me. You know why? Because I reckon that, that that hot spot might have picked up a little bit of a wet spot of something dribbling <laughs> down my leg. So <laughs> there was a brood of a ball. What's a brood of a ball? Army, is that where you wanted it to go? No, <laughs> no. I literally had nothing left. I had nothing left. I'd, I'd thrown everything. We had, me and Freddie had thrown everything at Brett. I mean, Brett was like a voodoo doll for me and Fred for that hour and a bit. We hit him everywhere. He ran about three singles without his bat. He hit him on his, yeah. you know, he got an inside, one on the inside side. He literally got hit everywhere. And then Wally stands on his stumps, out walks Casper. Even then we're thinking, right, we're it, it's done. And then I always, but I always get the, I get it the other way, Casper, I get well, surely that wasn't out. He had his hand off his bat. <laughs> you know, I'd hit his glove and had his hand off his bat. And I'm going, mate, I'm a number 11 batsman. In 15 seconds, if that had just happened to me, there's no way in the world I would have gone to DRS with a disappointment and it hit my glove. I didn't realise the hand would have been off the bat. So my question to you, Casper, is did you think your hand was off the bat? Did you have any idea? And would you have gone to DRS in that 15 seconds? Well, well, the point too is uh, well made because I think batting at number eleven, there's not normally any um, any uh, DRS uh, referrals left <laughs> in the bank <laughs> by the time it gets down to us. But oh, look, it was one of those ones, and I think as even as a bowler, you know, like it was short. And to be honest, it, it actually felt, you know, there's there's short balls that you would sort of halfway down or whatever, you can see it and duck it, and you you watch it. But for some reason, that ball felt like it just it was. It was, it was short, but it was really reared at the length, hence the reason why you're playing, standing up on it <laughs> through there. Um, oh, look, I think deep down at the time, just hands, everything, and the disappointment um, of that getting so close was, um, yeah, you just it was just the, the moment, and it wasn't until later. You, um, and I think deliberately, um, I think Channel 4 might have lost the take, didn't they, for the replay? Yeah. They didn't, didn't go in too. <laughs> they didn't show up that closely at all. But I, I just want to point out too, it was really amazing <clears throat> being in the middle. And I was asked this the other day on uh, on another um, uh, interview, and they said about they said what about the noise? What was it feeling like? I said, well, the thing was, when we we're out there, it was it was so loud. The, the crowd were just mm. in every single ball, and each with each run, it was getting you know it was louder and the excitement. But it wasn't, and the way I remember it was that uh, Freddie bowled a ball down, it went down leg side, hit the foot marks and went for four buys. Um, mm. And then all of a sudden it went from 13 down to nine runs, right? And then all of a sudden everyone went quiet. Mm. 
the whole crowd just went really, really quiet. And it was extraordinary out in the middle. And not that you started getting nervous then because, um, oh, look, it was it was uh, one of those things where even going out there with Brett, when we first went out there, said, we even said, mate, we're going to have to be, um, I hate using the word lucky, but we've got to be fortunate here, just knowing the, the theory um, for a fast bowler, the theory, of course, when a, a tail ender, um, nose and toes. Casper, <laughs> so how many? Just knowing that we just had to keep keep the ball out. Um, just paint the picture for us of both dressing rooms. Day five, Australia one nil up in the series. Harmy, you, you you're in with a great show. Casper, you've got a hell of a fight on your hands. You're 107 runs down. You've got two wickets in hand. You've got Warren and Lee at the at the crease. You to come, Casper. But what was the attitude of both change rooms going into the day? Harmy, uh, we thought we we were obviously we we knew Warren was the big wicket. We knew Warren could hurt us because his you know the. To be fair, in that series, probably Warnie got forty wickets, but he was more of a thorn in our side with a bat than he was with a ball because he kept, you know, he got he, as the series went on, he kept on getting runs that used to would would, would get out of England and keep us England and then the field. But Warnie was the one that we had to stop from scoring. We felt as though you know, number numbers nine and number eleven, we felt as though we could we could get the wicket, but Warnie could Warnie could win the game, and you know what Warnie's like with his back. Warnie was like with his back against the wall. So Shane was the big wicket, and but we felt as though, like in the first innings, if we got the ball reversing, which we did, the stumps were in play, and we used a short ball wisely. That was that was the theory, and it was always going to be, it was always going to be Flintoff Harmison or potentially a little bit of a spinner, and that's how it worked out. And I remember about halfway through that day, I just lost the use of the short ball. I was back to remember you mentioned we go one nil down back to back test matches. Legs were working, but the top half wasn't, and the mind was wanting to bowl short. But I kept dribbling down leg side, and it wasn't until the very end I was like, "Well, the only thing you've got is the short ball, mm-hmm. so you're gonna have to bowl it properly." But I just want to ask Casper one question: Did you think you had won? Because I did. Did you think you had won the ball before you got out when Brett got that big boom and? F- Full toss because as soon as it hit the bat, I thought, "Oh no!" And then I seen it. Simon Jones in the deep. Yeah, well, I think it was um, Peterson, wasn't it? Was it Kev Peterson? Um, oh, Simon. Was it Peterson or Simon? I'm not sure. I thought, well, regardless, it, he didn't have to move. And yeah, um, Binger absolutely crunched it, didn't he? Um, and I go for the Yorker, like you said, Yeeks, instead of like a little bit out. Um, it's a gutsy delivery, but but um, off the bat, it was. I wasn't. We weren't. Raising the arms and no cheering like that because he knew there was a sweeper. But like he didn't have to move. It went sort of straight to him. So the other thing, too, I've got a question for you. One of the things I know from a bowler's point of view, certainly bowling at lower order batsmen, we don't call ourselves tailenders, do we? Um, <laughs> we um, one of the things that you find was that um, generally the reason why I bat low is that, you know, we don't have the patience. And if you're bowling shorter length outside of stump and building pressure, then obviously we don't have the patience to, to let balls go. What was, I think, interesting too is Brett and myself were scoring runs pretty quickly. Now, not all off the bat, as you mentioned. There was plenty of leg buys, but I think we were almost going nearly four runs and over. Um, so the scoreboard was ticking over. And it wasn't until, I reckon, you got into that almost 10 runs, 15 runs, that all of a sudden you started bowling couple of, you know, like overs, instead of it just the nose or the toes, 
it was actually short like outside of stump and so there was some dot balls happening and then as we all know with the lower order batsman we a little bit of pressure kicks in yeah but that that, that you mentioned that you're talking about lower order batsman i pride myself when i left the game as being the eighth most highest run scorer as a number 11 in the history of the game Thanks. i thought that's quite good <laughs> that's good that but yeah again the it was the what you mentioned there it was just the emotion of the crowd you know, yeah. you've got to remember 11 o'clock on a sunday morning we walk out to the field with a full house at edgebaston with yeah. potentially two balls of the game left and there was a great big group of merv users barmy army lot can't say barmy yeah. army green gold no, lot in the corner and they were singing and in time there was like 70 to win and then they were like 69 yeah. to win. And they counted all the way down. Now they were funny at 70. They were, you know, they were, they were, it was it was a chuckle at 45. Boy, they were annoying when they got to about 15 or 20, I tell you. There was something <laughs> players not happy with that group of about 70 in the corner. In those final yeah, moments, yeah. you guys, what who who was your go-to? Now, obviously, Casper, your go-to was Brett Lee. I'd be interested to know what you two spoke about. And Harmy, who was your go-to? Who was the was it was it a flint off? Was it the 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 skipper, Michael Vaughan? Who who was it that was in your ear saying, Come on, you can do this. Come on, we can get there. Well, one one was Matthew Hoggard and the other one was Andrew Flintoff. Andrew Flintoff was bowled at the other end, so we were bouncing things off each other. And the other one was Matthew Hoggart saying, Come on, get this wicket, because I don't think my nerves will stand if I have to take my jumper off and start bowling here. Huggy <laughs> just didn't want to bowl. Huggy didn't want to bowl. He was he was bricking it. So in the in the 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 other one, other bowler that we, we talked to was was Simon, who the one person you didn't want to get that catch diving forward to after what happened to him in Brisbane was mm-hmm. with Simon Jones. You know, Freddie bowled a ball, which was a back of a length, Casper overcutted it, and Simon comes in, just missed, sort of misjudged it, and then had to dive forward. And then when you see Simon diving, your heart goes in your mouth after what happened to the big fella at um, at Brisbane. So they just that morning had everything. But me and Fred were just, again, like what Casper was saying, we were quite happy with shit. Not so much Shane, because Shane was gonna, would, could hurt us, but Brett and Casper playing shots giving them something to hit, bowling that fuller wide outside of stump, bowling a little bit shorter so they can get their hands free. Because as we know, tail enders hit the ball in the air and we'll, it was just an epic morning. What were you guys talking about, yeah, Casper, um, the change of overs and stuff? Oh, look, I'll try to keep it light, to be honest. I think um, going out there even, I was trying to smile, just smiling and fingering, saying that, you know, we, yeah, we just let's have fun out here. Because um, it's a long way to go. Um, yeah, let's just just see how it goes. So that's what we were trying to do, just trying to bounce and just yeah, have a bit of a... Well, it's not easy to laugh out there, but the irony is you don't hear anything. Um, there's this constant din of the, the, the crowd, obviously, the noise. But the trick part about it is that, um, yeah, you, you, when you're facing, when you're batting, I'm sure there's pressure, but you don't... When I say don't feel it, um, you kind of don't because you can control it in that, you know, you're facing the ball. When you're at the other end or in the crowd or everywhere else, um, you can't control any of that pressure. And so that's where it's really hard. I know that the next test, I think it was at um, uh, Manchester, mm-hmm. Old Trafford. Um, I remember not playing that one. McGrath has actually got back um, remarkably, but he's got this ability to do that, to actually play. And I think we we 
and feeling sitting and watching it, um, we got a draw, but salvaged a draw out of that game. Um, but sitting there so nervous because you, you couldn't do it and just realising the time that it, it was so less hectic um, out in the middle. I remember seeing you at home after that test match. So, sorry, I mean, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I, I can concur with what Casper's saying there. I'm in the ball in my hand, 20, with, with you know, the run up 22 yards away for six balls. I'm not feeling anything other than Brett Lee, Michael Kasparovic at the other end. I am going to try and knock them over. I am at fine leg watching Andrew, Andrew Flintoff bowl six balls, and I am shaking like you'd not believe. Honestly, my backside's going, legs, legs are going, they're jelly. Don't hit it to me like you'd hit it to Simon. I'm thinking because there's no way, one, I'll be able to chase it, two, I'll be able to catch it. I was a nervous wreck at fine leg or at mid-on. But when you had the ball in your hand, it was business. This is this is what I'm good at. And this is, and for me, that, that hour and a half, you go, the, Richie Benno's great comment, this is theatre. And it was. It was proper, proper theatre. And that's what you played the game of cricket for. And that's what Ashes Cricket was about. It had an enormous yeah. impact on cricket. And I think mm. not only just the match itself, but that endearing image of Freddie Flintoff and Brett Lee after the, the epic test match. Do you guys look back on it differently to any other test match you played? And I don't want that to sound like a silly question because it, it probably is. You know, but did it, because it was so close and be both sides, you know, lived through the pressure of it, was it a different test match to any other game you've played? Um, look, I was fortunate I went um, to England in 97. So I experienced it before. And at that point in time, I'd played five years of county cricket. So I'd seen how England works, the pitches. Um, I lived in, in, in the UK, um, spent some good time there. So I had a real sort of, you know, closeness to it. But even with the Australian team, when you, I guess I would never, I was never sort of first picked. I was always one of those guys um, that sort of came off the bench whenever required. And predominantly the tours I went on tend to be the subcontinent uh, um, areas, but England, of course, as well. It was interesting. It was probably 13 times in 10 years, I think it was, um, that I actually was in and out of that Australian side. But I had 10 years um, exposure to it. When you said about um, the um, the feeling, one of the things that I'm, after that second test, um, after that whole series, it was, it was incredible the impact it made everywhere because at the end of it, um, it might have been that same Indian bloke I was saying that, that um, oh, the Imperial Hotel in Delhi, when I, he came across, I was telling him about um, Law 34.1. Um, he said, I said, oh, look, he said, thank you. You single-handedly saved Test cricket. And I said, well, do you know that junior participation, both England and Australia went up by about 25% or, or if not more because it was on that series. There was a DVD that was released, the greatest test match, you know, 10,000 copies of that. I think all the England players, always, well, you all got MBEs, didn't you? As yeah. Well. Even, yeah. I, but I have I heard that the bus driver got one too. But yeah, his name was Paul Collingwood. <laughs> yeah. The thing was that the thing was that um I said to this bloke, I said, What do you reckon happened to me? If I was single-handed responsible for you know for, for this, you know, what happened to me? And they saw oh, what must have been, yeah, must have been great. I said, No, no, I got dropped. So, <laughs> <laughs> it was one of the many times I was dropped. So, but I think that was that was it, just being part of that 
that series, any Ashes series, but obviously what that did to cricket, um, you know, not only in Australia and certainly the UK, but you think around the world. And and I really, um, oh, I like to say, playing a, a pivotal part in that particular Test match. Um, you know, whilst it was disappointing, it gets so close. Um, you know, it's, it's it's great that what what's the saying? Um, you've got to give back to the game what the game gave you. Yeah, <laughs> there's nine million Something people like watch that. Nine million people watch that Sunday morning, Casper. Nearly nine million people. It's eight point eight or eight point nine million people watch that hour on Sunday morning. Which yeah, and that's uh, and that's just yeah, that's just in um, England and Australia, yeah. I reckon. Um, yeah. Plenty over in, in that was just in England. Yeah, I know. just England. Yeah, that was just nothing in England. Else to, there's nothing yeah, else nothing to do, else to do, do on that morning, morning, is it? Morning, but, <laughs> for, me, for me, it was just it was it was it was that, that ended up being just a small part of what was five unbelievable test matches. If that was just the isolated incident alone, not sure that it would have been talked about as a greatest series, but we had exactly the same at Old Trafford. We'd had exactly the same at Edgebaston. Uh, I mean, at uh, Trent Bridge, and then obviously yeah. you, you had one at the Oval, lunchtime on day five, 70 for five, uh, and then KP plays his innings. So for me, it was... A, yeah. it was Brilliant series, not just the, the one test match. Yeah, absolutely no, brilliant exactly. series uh, and fantastic to reflect on uh, what was uh, one of the great test matches in history. Casper, we thank you very much for uh, giving us your time and, and your thoughts on uh, um, on uh, what was uh, one of those uh, matches that will uh, stand the test of time. Thanks, Scuba. Thanks so much. And uh, great to see you, Harmy. You're looking so well too. You too, Matt. You too. Look forward to seeing this summer. <laughs> Australian Made Week kicks off on May 15th. Look for the green and gold kangaroo logo. Road to the Ashes with Simon O'Donnell and Steve Harmison. Welcome back to Road to the Ashes on SEN and Talk Sport. You're with Simon O'Donnell, Steve Harmison. Thanks to Australian Made for the green and gold kangaroo. Well, a gentleman that will be wearing the green and gold right through the Ashes series is Alex Kerry, the Australian wicket-keeper, and we welcome Alex to uh, the road to the Ashes, which I have no doubt he is genuinely excited about. Alex, welcome to you. No, thanks for having me on. I I'm certainly am excited, and to speak to you guys and um, hear some stories is going to be great. Mate, we've got a fair income series coming up uh, starting on June 16 over in England. Because Stuart Broad said the series that uh, you smashed them in and you made you debut in the Ashes in 21-22, that was, that was void, mate. Didn't take place. <laughs> oh, look, I, I certainly, um, uh, I guess, felt the, the Ashes rivalry and to, yeah, make my debut um, in Test cricket in, yeah, in such a, I guess, um, loved rivalry and, and one that is heavily watched um, is something that I'll never forget and, I guess for me um, personally to to win an Ashes in that first series I played was um, something I'll never forget. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think we saw it like that. We were obviously, um, yeah, pretty excited to, to get the uh, the series win and, and no doubt looking forward, this one's going to be a bit different. Um, played over in England, the way that they're playing at the moment, it's going to be super exciting to watch. Mate, uh, you should have been uh, very proud of your achievements too. Uh, just... Quickly, what's your first memory of the Ashes? Has it always been you're a dual sports person? You've played Aussie Rules footy here for our worldwide audience that may not know that. Um, you're, 
you were a, a star at cricket from a very young age as well. Do you have an endearing memory of when the Ashes started to make sense to you as a cricketer, as a youngster? Um, I don't know when it sort of clicked. I guess um, I've got an older brother and we always played backyard cricket. And, of course, being the younger brother, I was um, the Poms and he was he, he was allowed to be the Aussies. So I was playing against him as, um, you know, I guess, the, the rivals now. Um, but that's the way it was. He was the older brother and he got to choose he, who he wanted to be. Um, so I, I guess you, as a youngster, you're just playing and you're like, yeah, cool, no worries. I'll be this team, I'll be that team. Uh, and then you, you start to, to grow into playing some, um, I guess, more senior cricket and you understand what it means and the rivalry, what it means. And then you see the Ashes series in the past. Um, I guess, yeah, the Poms coming out to Australia and you get to go and watch a few games and then you see it on TV and you get to sit up until sort of 10 o'clock at night and Dad lets you watch a bit. Um, and it starts to grow. And, yeah, I, I guess now um, being able to play in one was, like I said, something I'll never forget. Um, but, yeah, I, I guess some, some early memories. Um, yeah, seeing the heartbreak in, in 2005, um, Watching Adam Gilchrist at the at the Wacker taking on Monty Panesar and scoring that amazing century, there are just some things that sort of stick out. But um, there's so much history, and yeah, to be a part of it is something that yeah, I'm, I'm super uh, privileged and honoured to do. You mentioned that, yeah, I mentioned that Adam Gilchrist and, and Monty Panesar in 2006-7. I was on a boundary for that, and Alex and I thought that <laughs> I thought the the roof of my mouth was was going to get sunburned. It was that <laughs> wide open as the ball kept going flying over my head. And it, it, there's so many memories of 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 the Ashes. And what are you looking forward to to making your own memories? Because this has been a different England side since you last played them. Do you get carried right. away in trying to? be like England, the way they've been playing? Or have you got plans that you think, right, this is how we are going to go and we're going to block it out? You know, has there really been conversations or is that yet to come? No, you, you are spot on. I think those conversations will start, well, probably have um, been taking place with the, you know, the, 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 um, the coach, the captains and uh, analytics. Um, for us players, we'll... We've got a bit of training together in the next couple of weeks up in Brisbane. Um, so to start to, to talk about and put the language together up there, there's some guys over in England playing at the moment and we'll all come together before that World Test Championship um, and have our focus you know, solely on, on that game. But with the eye to the, to the first Test match, um, yeah, we, we know and we've heard some stuff in the media, what it, you know, the wickets might be like and the boundaries, etc., um, the way that you know you guys are playing at the moment is um, it is eye catching and yeah I, I hope and I know that we'll be uh, really prepared. Um, I, you know I'd, I'd like to think we're not surprised now that the way that uh, they'll come out and play and then yeah it's a matter of us to to back our skills as well to to combat that um, and, and which you know the the tactical stuff will sort of start to take place over the next couple of weeks but. Yeah, I don't. I don't see us falling into um, you know our batters going out and and trying to score at the same rate. We all do it differently. We've had some serious success in the last eighteen to twenty four months playing you know the style that we want to play in different conditions and um, lucky enough to be rewarded with a, a spot in the World Test Championship. So 
Yeah, we're excited, like I said, to um, to come over in in now their backyard and, and take on a team that's playing um, some yeah some really eye catching cricket. Um, and you know, as a player, it's it's just going to be it's going to be a hot contest, and and I'm you know I'm smiling just thinking about that first test. Alex, do you make any sort of adjustments to your technique, uh, the way you play going onto different services? surfaces over in the UK because it is very different to home you know the the, the pace the bounce are, are, are quite different to what you experience here on your home decks yeah it's probably something to um yeah stay open-minded about and uh speak to the senior guys and the players that have spent a fair bit of time over there I know it's different but I spent um 2019 we had the one-day World Cup, so I guess getting a feel a little bit for conditions. The ball is a different colour, obviously, and a different make, but to then go and play a little bit of um, Red Bull cricket at Sussex uh, in between some T20. So I guess having a few trips over there is a good understanding of what um, conditions are potentially like. And then it's, yeah, just tweaking, um, you know, little parts of my game. We've, we're lucky enough to have Michael Divinuto, our batting coach, who spent so much time at Surrey. Uh, some players in Marnus who have done so well over there, and Steve Smith. Um, so, you know, yeah, I think those conversations will naturally happen. And, and once we have, you know, sort of 10 days lead up to that first test or the, the test championship, we'll be able to, to get a bit more of a feel for it. Um, but yeah, I think as well for me, a lot of it is around mindset and, and making sure I'm in a you know a positive mindset to go out and play batting at number seven. You you're hopefully in a good position. You can move the game forward, and um, you're, if you're in trouble anyway, it's uh, yeah, go out and do your best and try to get them out of trouble. So um, yeah, loving loving playing amongst this team at the moment. The the dynamic of the group and Usman Khawaja who will face you know 300 plus balls to a Travis Head will face 60 balls and they'll probably end up with the same same score at the end of it is um yeah it's great to be a part of and as, and as a way keeper alex have you have you spoke to anybody taking any advice about keeping in england because like simon mentioned it's different the ball bounces the ball but the ball's different it wobbles around lords is completely different edge baston edge baston is completely different to old trafford and you know you, you create a few more chances as a, as as a bowling unit but from a keeper's point of view, you're standing in a completely different spot. Are you? Have you taken any advice about playing in England and also playing in the Ashes, where there's there's a crowd? I know Stuart Broad's tongue in cheek, but it was a, it's going to be a hell of a lot different to what it was what it, what, it, what it was in Australia in 2021. No, you're spot on. It's a really good point. I think it's it's hard to to train the um, you know the wobble that. Uh, I guess as keepers, we, we know comes down and, and we make it look a bit silly at times if we don't get a hand on them. But, um, yeah, it's really hard to sort of train that and, and how do you get a ball to wobble with, you know, hits off the bat or throws off a board. It, it just doesn't happen. So um, I think for me, just staying really open-minded, knowing that, you know, there's going to be days where it doesn't look pretty, um, getting in good positions. You, you see some of the techniques of the English keepers and it's completely different to the Aussies. So. Um, yeah, I think adapting uh, as quickly as I can when I get over there, I'll, I'll hopefully have some centre wickets and stand back and open those nets up and catch a few balls from our bowlers. Um, and then from there, just hopefully react well enough that, yeah, if one does wobble my way, that, you know, I move to that and, and I see it and catch it. 
Um, but it's a really good point you make. It's probably something that, yeah, as as cricket fans, you, you sort of expect the wicket keepers to to you know make it look easy at times. But um, yeah, she, it wobbles down, and it's like, what are you doing? But um, it's all part of the fun and the, and the praise that our wicket keepers don't get. Alex, I, I remember years ago um, when you went, I, I think to the UAE to experience Indian wickets and at the ICC they they have a, a pitches prepared that are you know English wickets and Indian wickets and New Zealand wickets all sorts of of different surfaces when you go up to Brisbane do you have that luxury up at the National Academy are Australia able to produce th- those sorts of wickets well I think as best they can um, yeah it's hard to replicate the actual um, I guess conditions to to a T, but yeah, NCC do a, a fantastic job. They've got red soil, they've got um, the black soil, they've got different types of soils in wickets as well. So preparing for that India tour, we were able to do that a bit. Um, and then yeah, e- England, I, I guess is yeah, it's a tough one. And uh, you know, you're hearing um, hard and, and fast wickets is what might be prepared but if the if the weather's around and the covers have been on, on them for weeks it's hard to to produce wickets like that so um yeah we're really fortunate the ncc do an amazing job you've got so many different opportunities to train on uh and you know different types of wickets and however the humidity is probably a little bit different to the uk at the moment Mate, there's no humidity i spoke to harmy earlier i think he backed me up he reckons it's about minus two at the minute yeah <laughs> So that's hard Alex, to I live in the north. So Alex, I live in the northeast of England. We've not seen the sun since last June. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, maybe I um yeah, I've got to go down to Tasmania and get some training in, or, or you know those those types of conditions. <laughs> oh <laughs> no, but just we're, make we're sure you take it for India, but um and go in the saunas. But it's a little bit different to trying to acclimatise for uh, England, sit right. in the air conditioner or the freezer. Right. Take a couple in of long the ice for a week. <laughs> A long sleeve jumpers will be uh, part of the day, I, I am sure, when you first arrive over there in England. Alex, we really we, we wish you well. There's massive expectations we build into this Ashes series of, uh, of 2023 and 21-22. Um, it, it wasn't void. Take uh, great memories from that and we look forward to, to five really competitive test matches over the next few months. No, they certainly will be. And uh, I know, um, you know, myself as a cricketing fan, it'll be, you know, for the spectators to, to come along and make some noise and the um, yeah the Australian fans back here to, to tune in because it's going to be very exciting to watch, no doubt. And, um, yeah, great to chat, guys, and hopefully catch up soon. Good on you. Alex Kerry joining us here, He's the back. Australian wicket keeper. Uh, great to, to hear from him as he prepares for the Ashes of 2023. This is The Road to the Ashes on SEN and Talk Sport, and we'll be back with more shortly. Australian Made Week kicks off on May 15th. Look for the green and gold kangaroo logo. Road to the Ashes with Simon O'Donnell and Steve Harmison. Welcome back to Road to the Ashes on SENN Talk Sports. Simon O'Donnell's my name. Steve Harmison is with me and we're here thanks to Australian Made. Look for the green and gold kangaroo. We've got some great questions, Harmy, coming in from... uh, our listeners around the world. The first one uh, I just wanted to put in front of you this evening is Steve Smith. He's about to start his stint with Sussex. What should he expect? And who is impressing over there at the moment in county cricket? 
Um, he'll expect a very cold, very damp cricket grounds and wickets. Um, a lot different to what Alex Carey is going to prepare on up in Brisbane. <laughs> Because um, I don't think you can get close to replicating what he's going to come up against at, um, at Worcester. Um, it, it's, a, it's a hit in the middle. And like I said last week, I don't think Steve Smith playing cricket in England is going to have a bearing on the Ashes at all. Um, everybody's preparing in a different way. Um, and he was on our TV screens yesterday being wheeled out at Sussex. He looked very, very cold. He took some slip catches in the, in the, the sort of gloves that they have now. He bowled, looked as though he's bowled a bit. He was bowling his leg spin because they were showing them in the nets. And uh, he was batting with two or three big heavy jumpers on. Is the England squad pretty much settled that you know, guys are just going through the rigours of their county career at the moment? Or is there guys that really want to find some form leading into this Ashes or even find enough form to find a slot in the top six or one of the bowling spots in the eleven? The, the one that's the big concern, and he's he's already got 100, but he's already been out in the ways that gets out in test cricket, is Zach Crawley. Zach Crawley, he spent a bit of time in the middle, got a big 100 the other week, but he's been out twice in two games for low scores in, in both innings. So that would be a concern. Hope looks in decent order. Joe Root's in, in the IPL. Ben Stokes is in the IPL. Harry Brook got 100, but not batting as well in the IPL as probably he would have liked. The ones that are hitting nicely and the one team I would like Steve Smith to play against and that probably would have been one that he would fancy to play against probably second or third game would have been Durham, my team, because Durham have got Brian Kars and Matt Potts who will be on the verge of the England side. They're bowling well and that would have been a real test for, for Steve Smith and a good preparation. But Steve Smith goes and plays against Marnus Labashin. Not sure Marnus is going to trouble him too much with these leg spinners. On a wet one at, uh, down in the uh, in the valleys, but Durham would have been a good test for Steve Smith. The bowlers are bowling nicely. Jimmy Anderson got his fifty fourth, yes, fifty fourth five wicket haul in first class cricket the other week. And Stuart Broad looks as though him and Ollie Robinson hitting their straps. So the only one that's probably slightly concerned from England is Zach Crawley. The rest are probably where they want to be going into what six weeks out from the Ashes. Yep. Um, not long to go, and each week we'll be uh, joining you here on SEN and also on TalkSport to make sure that uh, we showcase that build-up to the Ashes. Harmy, great to have your company again uh, this week. We look forward to chatting again next week. Yeah, good, good luck to everyone this week. This has been Road to the Ashes. Uh, Simon O'Donnell, Steve Harmison with you. Now, don't forget, if you've got a question for us, you can tweet us at SEN Cricket or at TalkSport2 or cricket underscore TS. Now, we'll be back next week. We look forward to your company then. And we're here, thanks to Australian Made, look for the green and gold kangaroo.